My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Frames cast. Today I am going to be taking a look at Francois Truffaut's Jules Le Gym, but before I get to that, just a few points of housekeeping. Um, I'm recording this on the 31st of October. Um, I have over the past month been binge watching a lot of horror films as a lot of people seem to do at this time of year and just a couple of standout well one one definitely a standout the other one um, a tacit recommendation I revisited the BBC's infamous ghost watch which if for the initiated was broadcast i think in 1992 i I think i was 12 when i first saw it and it was a kind of mockumentary about a poltergeist possession going on in a house in england um it scared the shit out of me then i haven't watched it since and i re-watched it on friday night and i was really taken with how well done this film was um for anyone i i seem to remember growing up in the 90s there was a real thing made about the live tv event and it really captured that you can see the artifice of it almost immediately and i don't blame the 12 year old 12 or 13 however old i was me for not quite picking up on it i remember the point when i first saw it where i began to suspect something was afoot and um that came about half an hour into it but Overall, I was really, really impressed with the filmmaking, how it uses various different styles and the Michael Parkinson presenting was was absolutely brilliant. So um, it has recently been given a new Blu-ray release. Um, I watched the DVD. I can't really imagine on Blu-ray um, you would get a significant upgrade. It does appear to have been shot on um, DV, so I'm, I'm not sure how well that would uh, trans. Tr- um, how good the visual uptake would be but definitely worth going back to and this weekend I decided to um, binge watch the Omen films and of course I'm a big fan of the first Omen I saw the second one last year and was quite taken with it and I eventually got around to watching the third installment and for a film that has such a a terrible reputation and awful scores on Rotten Tomatoes, both audience and critics. I was actually quite taken with this film. Um, I thought it had quite some quite powerful imagery in it. It was hard not to look at um, Damien and think of the the Trump family and certainly Patrick Bateman for sure. But I sort of enjoyed it in a kind of sleazy way. And definitely um, you can pick up the omen box set on blu-ray for about 12 quid on hmv at the moment and i actually think as a trilogy it is actually quite a satisfying series of films certainly the quality does decrease with each installment but i don't think that um part three is anywhere near kind of like star wars attack of the clones territory levels of awful so um, i've also been incredibly busy this month on the work front um work uh, making a campaign for the NHS about COVID and flu. So if you see, if you live in Manchester and you see some rather ridiculous um, COVID and flu puppets on billboards and whatnot, that was and a really fun campaign to work on. And I'll be posting the videos that I made for that up on my YouTube account at some stage. Um, I have got a few episodes in the pipeline. There is a rumour that Ridley Scott will be returning to the podcast. I am currently watching the next batch of films in that. And as I'm doing some house renovations, listening to um, various Ridley Scott commentaries. And I'm 
really intrigued actually because I it's been a while since I've gone back and listened to film commentaries on discs and it really is uh, an education if they're done correctly and Ridley Scott really is brilliant at doing audio commentaries he's incredibly insightful quite funny and it, they're hugely educational so I can definitely recommend uh, if you have some Ridley Scott uh, films lying around to have a listen to them. One idea I do for film commentaries, I actually rip the audio off them and I listen to them on my iPhone when I'm going for walks or just on the train or something like that. Um, obviously you're not getting to see the film but just you can obviously get an idea, any kind of anecdotes or stories about the production from doing it. And I will be doing another episode um, of For One Night Only when I bring a cinema that has now been closed or shut or knocked down or ever back to life i've already picked my next target it's another incredibly self-indulgent one but it's actually a really i think hopefully will be an interesting episode on the history of the multiplex in the united kingdom so with all that said and done i am going to crack on with this episode of the 24 frames cast and i'll be jumping back into the world of francois truffaut with a look at jules Legim. Elle avait des bagues à chaque doigt, des tas de bracelets autour des poignets, et puis elle chantait avec une voix qui cite au manjola. Earlier this year, I revisited the 400 Blows, and it was a joy to go back to this film. As film debuts go, it has to rank as one of the very best. Beautifully shot, with a script filled with wit, sadness, hope and sorrow the 400 blows has only gotten better with every time i have watched it which brings me then to jules jim and i must start with a caveat whereas every time i watch the 400 blows i tend to like it more i am honestly still not sure how i feel about jules jim i know that i don't not like it but i also feel unsure as to whether i appreciate it more than i actually really like it and it's often with films like this that I find myself going back to more frequently. Released in 1962, Jules Jim was Truffaut's third film after The 400 Blows and Shoot the Piano Player. It follows over a 30 year period before World War I to the beginning of World War II, the lives of a love triangle consisting of Jim, a French bohemian played by Henri Serre, his Austrian friend Jules played by Oscar Werner, and Jules's girlfriend and later wife Catherine played Jeanine Moreau. At various stages, Catherine is sleeping with both men, with either party consenting and accepting this arrangement. Jules Legim's narrative is free-flowing. It's whimsical at times. We jump in and out of the protagonist's life. Jim appears and disappears. Jules and Catherine have a child. All the while the world moves closer to the Second World War. And when I first saw Jules Jim many years ago, what most affected me was Truffaut himself. Still only 30 when he made it, Truffaut is clearly enjoying the medium itself and above all the fun you can have with cinema. There's freeze frames, stock footage, a gorgeous score, camera iris shots, helicopter footage, edits that draw attention to the cut itself and voiceovers and Raoul Courtard, the film's new wave director of photography of choice, beautifully composed shots, as well as the breaking of the conventional norm that a camera cannot move within a hundred net. 
cannot move outside 180 degrees. And it was all there for the young cinephile that was in me. It was indeed, in many respects, manna from heaven, I seem to recall when I first watched it. However, going back to it, I'm often, and definitely with my most recent viewings of the film, beginning to see what I perceive as issues with Jules Legium. And I'm still unsure I'm open to counter-debate whether these flaws are indeed flaws or just my interpretation of the film being wrong. Primarily, my main distraction with the film is this. I simply do not see the appeal of Catherine that warrants the level of devotion Jules possesses for her. And in turn, the film feels off to me, especially as the years go by. When we first meet Jules Legion, it is Yim who seems to be the more confident of his, in his own skin. He's able to attract women, something Jules seems hesitant or indeed unsure of how to go about. Both are fairly annoying bohemian types, pompous, overly impressed with themselves and their apparent intellectual capacity. Enter Catherine, who they literally walk into one night. She is a link between the two, a figure they can both want and desire who reciprocates their overtures. Now, despite the film being a period piece, it often resembles a contemporary one, and no better is this shown in the now iconic shot of the three running over a bridge. Catherine is dressed like a man, and in many ways, and in many respects, acts like one, especially when you take her out of the period setting into the convention, into a contemporary 1960s one. She is sexually promiscuous, forthright, idealistic, and the only true free spirit of the trio, who embraces male freedoms typically denied to women. There's even a sense of a kind of immortality about her, as Jules and Jim see her in the face of an ancient statue. What bugs me, therefore, is this. How and why she even begins to settle down and have a child with Jules in the first place? It feels to me like, in a way, the character would never do this, and the motivation from her perspective is never truly, or to me at least, adequately explained. The period setting does not help in this regard either. Were it set in the 60s, I think she would be far more understandable. A decade in the cusp of a sexual and cultural revolution. Why on earth, therefore, would you not act exactly how you please? I'm not sure if Catherine is a frustratingly underdeveloped character. And there's one very telling scene in the film. Jim at one stage says he wants to understand her. And she replies that she doesn't want to be anyway. Am I, in fact, missing the point, the fact that we don't really know Catherine? It's not a question of her being underdeveloped or badly written. It's just that the question marks I have about her are the ones that the characters themselves are having as well. Perhaps Jules and Jim are, in fact, avatars of my internal feelings about the film. I don't know. This is one of the, I suppose, the continuing allure of watching it. One thing is definitely true though, and that is Catherine treats Jules terribly pretty much throughout the entire film. He agrees to her relationship with Jim, and yet there are other lovers that she has that we are often told about. Jules cannot fulfill her, that is clear, and I think it's quite a radical thing to see in a film. Sex in cinema is male-dominated, and it's a rare leading character is so exposed like this. However, Jules' love is unconditional that we definitely do see.
There is a real melancholy to Jules, I think. You do feel incredibly sorry for him, and incidentally, um, Terence Stamp was originally uh, Truffaut's first choice for the character. Um, before you say, you know, could he speak French, all of Truffaut's films were dubbed after production, so I think they would probably got it around it like that. But I think Oscar Werner, who had his own demons at the time of the film, he was an alcoholic, which would often cause him to clash with Truffaut. I think Werner does sell the role the best he can, but again, I do have my doubts that his motivations for staying with Catherine are fully realised on screen. I sometimes feel he behaves the way he does because the screenplay is telling him that that is the way he should be behaving. I just don't feel that the evidence is there on screen and that the relationship all that genuine with Catherine. One possible explanation is that Jules and Jim are in fact in an undeclared homosexual relationship and that she is the link between the two by having her around he knows he will be able to see Jim more and of course the film cannot be explicit in this I've read several pieces on the film that claim this to be the case and I'm still personally unsure what to think of this and I think it's quite interesting that kind of bearing in mind we are in an age where I think sexual identity is pretty much one of the cultural talking points at the moment, that the film in this day and age may go down a reappraisal of that nature. But again, it's why I come back to a film like Jules et Jim. I simply don't know how I truly feel about it. One thing is for sure, I think the film's final 20 minutes are in quite poor. The ending feels utterly contrived, almost as if Truffaut ran out of ideas, and its suddenness is incredibly jarring. But again, this may well be the point. The new wave was about pushing the envelope, the boundaries and the rules, so perhaps this is on me again. I also found the film's voiceover to be utterly pointless. It's almost Brechtian in delivery and offers really little or no insight into what is actually going on. I don't also think that the film's period setting really contributes anything to the film and the coming Second World War doesn't really seem to have any impact on anything that happens in the film. Um, I, one, I actually suspect that the reason um, Truffaut maintained the period setting was that, because that was when the novel it was based in uh, was set and he just didn't want to kind of deviate too much from it. I know he was really obsessed with the original novel so I think that might explain it but despite all this I still think it is a fascinating work, a genuine oddity and yes I think it is a wholly original film. It's gorgeous to look at as well, it's beautifully cinematic and a sense of time passing and the sense of time passing that the film captures really resonated with me. I've become aware recently of getting older, friendships coming and going and making sense of my life and I think the film really does um, capture some of that. And it's a very sentimental film as well, I think Jules is a proponent of true love it seems, no matter how messy that can be and co quite possibly it's why I know in the not too distant future I'll come back to this film as I always do. So that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 Framescast. Um, you can find me on 24framescast.blogspot.com. You can email me at 24framescast. And if you wish to follow me on Twitter, do drop me an email. Um, 
I was banned from Twitter, as I have said on previous episodes, and I don't, and I, I'm still going to maintain my uh, anonymity as long as I can on Twitter before I kind of give my Twitter handle away, just in case some of Elon Musk's agents are watching and ban my new account. Um, I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with Twitter. It is probably my favourite form of social media. Um, but by God, I think we could be in for a ride with Elon in charge. But all that said and done, many thanks for listening. I will be back soon with another episode. And um, until then, goodbye.